find that song. It's from the Rend Collective Experiment, and uh, it's a great song. I encourage you to check that out, search for it, find it. You'll enjoy it. It's in the way. The title for today's message is Kaleidoscope in a series that's called Unleashed. And you may be wondering, exactly how do you unleash a kaleidoscope? Or what is your inner kaleidoscope that needs to be unleashed? Or what does an unleashed kaleidoscope even look like? Well, as we begin today, I wanted to look into that just a little bit. And I want to share with you something I learned about kaleidoscopes. And if you keep this in mind throughout today's message, it shines an interesting light on the whole thing. Kaleidoscopes were invented in 1816 by David Brewster, a Scottish inventor. Sir David Brewster, actually, was studying many aspects of physical sciences, including things I don't understand, like polarization of optics and properties of light. And while he was looking at some objects at the end of two mirrors, he noticed that um, these patterns and colors were, were recreated and reformed into these beautiful new arrangements. And He named this invention after the Greek words meaning beautiful form watcher. Okay, so I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek real quick. The first word was kalos, the Greek word for beautiful. All right, husbands, you can use that later on your, tell your wives. They're very kalos. Uh, The next one was iodos, which is the Greek word for shape, and skopeo, which is not the mouthwash, but the Greek word, (laughs) I had to make sure, the Greek word to look at. Okay, so... Kalos Eodas, beautiful shapes. And, you know, I bet that Sir David Brewster never imagined his invention, the kaleidoscope, would be used to describe the cultural diversity of the kingdom of God. But I think it's awesome because if we're created in God's image, we're all supposed to do things like worship together and love one another, regardless of nationality or language or color. So then as the bride of Christ, we should strive to blend and come together to make beautiful shapes that reflect and shine Jesus in all of his splendor on our community and our world. And so that's what Kaleidoscope is. Now you got to understand, two weeks ago when I started this series, we began in Acts chapter 1. And by the way, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to hit that and then go right into Acts chapter 2. But as I started this series two weeks ago, Jesus has told his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them in power, so that they would be witnesses to what Christ has done. Now, Dr. Mark Moore, who's a professor at um, Ozark Christian College, said this term, come upon, is used nine different times in the New Testament. Seven of those times it's used by Luke. And usually the word has this idea of violence or struggle, but not necessarily when it's used here for the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to, I say that because I really want you to understand and get the idea that Luke is trying to tell us when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in power, uh, it, to, it gives them the power to witness. He's serious about what he's doing. He's, he's coming on and he is passionate about his job. And so from the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke is trying to make it just extremely clear that the Holy Spirit is the central character of this entire saga. Okay. And, and so Jesus tells the disciples to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come in power. So the disciples did. They waited. Uh, They waited about 10 days. I don't know about you all, but I hate waiting. I can't wait for Christmas. As soon as it's over, I can't wait for it to happen next year. I can't. We have a family song. Christmas times are coming. That's it. (laughs) It's coming around the bend. We start singing it about October 30th. (laughs) Close enough. I can't wait. I hate waiting. 
birthdays, anniversary. I'm probably the only guy that remembers my anniversary because I, I like to get gifts or give gifts to my wife. <laughs> um, waiting. Just imagine, Jesus says before he leaves you, wait here. Don't go home. Don't go anywhere. Stay here in this city. And then something is coming for you. And then he leaves and you're waiting. I don't like waiting 20 minutes at the doctor's office. This is my turn yet. So they're waiting. And, and they've had all these crazy things happen. And the disciples are waiting. And, and they're just waiting. And they're waiting. And so Jesus tells them to wait. They wait. They waited about 10 days. They've been together. They, they've been praying. And they've been waiting. I don't think that these apostles, that, that these men knew exactly what was going to happen to them. And, and I don't think they had really any kind of an idea of what would happen when the Holy Spirit came. And I got to thinking about this process, and it kind of reminds me of when Al Gore invented the Internet. I, I don't think he realized the vastness of what he had created. You know, they just, it would keep going. And it's, it's the same thing for the disciples and the apostles. I don't think they knew what they were going to, that they only knew they were going to be witnesses. I don't think they knew what kind of power was in store for them. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you for today. And I thank you, Lord, that, that we can come here uh, from all different backgrounds in life. And, I, and Lord, uh, as, as we come together, I'm grateful that, that we can worship, that we can uh, put ourselves before you. And I pray that, that what we do here today is we talk about kaleidoscope, as we talk about the beautiful shape of, of what you want your kingdom to be and, and of what your followers should be. I pray that we can reflect that. Not just here in this room, but in our community. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. You see, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly. And, and I like how Luke does this because he says, he, he's told us they've been waiting for like 10 days. And he, and he said they're all together on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. And suddenly something happens. And you know what's going to happen. And I know what's going to happen because we've already read this. And the Holy Spirit is getting ready to come upon these followers. And it's interesting because I found what I thought was an interesting thing was that there are three symbols that are attached to the Holy Spirit's coming. There's the sound. There's the sight. There's some, what they see. And, and then there's this miracle of speech. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, it says, There was a sound like the blowing of a violent room, or excuse me, of a violent wind that filled the room. And then they saw something. They saw what looked like tongues of fire coming down upon each of them. And then the miracle happened. It says that each of them began to speak in a language that they didn't previously know. Un momento, un momento. Se dice que cada uno de los camarazón a hablar en un idioma que antes no sabe. Sí. Exactly. They, they began to speak in a language they didn't understand, that they didn't previously know. I, I would have felt just like I did just then. <laughs> she began to speak a language that I don't understand. But hang on. It, it wasn't actually the wind. The text says it was like a violent wind. It, was actually, it wasn't actually fire that came down. The text says it was like tongues of fire. Un momento aquí. Era como un invento violento. El texto que dice... Que fue algo así como lenguas de fuego. ¿De fuego? Sí, de fuego. ¿De fuego? De fuego. De fuego. It was like fire. I got that part. Anyone here speak conversational Spanish? 
to just Diana and I. Very good. Um, oh, in the back, we have one. Very well. Um, could you imagine? Here we are, and all of a sudden, I began speaking a language that only from your home country you would recognize. That's what took place. We wanted to illustrate that a little bit to give you something to really think about because two of us knew what she was saying, and the rest of you were like, I hope it's not bad. <laughs> I only knew because I have it in the text. The only other Spanish I know is I learned at Disney, and it's, it's Por favor, Montango de Alejandro de las Puertas. That's, please stand clear of the door so you don't get your fingers caught in the monorail. <laughs> um, but <laughs> this speech... This speech is an important thing, okay? And what Luke focuses on the most is this third element, this miracle of speech. And I think it's great because the apostles were speaking in known languages, but prior to this day, those languages were not known to these men. And and they didn't know them. And and so I think there may be some symbolism here. Uh, This is my, my thoughts, okay? I think maybe the wind might represent the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? I think... The fire may represent purity, like in Isaiah chapter 6, when the angel takes the live burning coal and he touches his tongue, uh, touches Isaiah's tongue, and he says he's now been purified. Um, but for sure, these tongues of fire, these languages that the apostles spoke, this, this speech miracle was a symbol that God has included all people, all nations, all languages, all language groups into his kaleidoscopic plan of salvation. Beautiful shapes indeed. I'd like to share with you my first kaleidoscope moment. When I realized the cultural diversity of the world that we live in. And and to get there, I have to tell you this. I was born in Indiana. And and I grew up in a small town called Duggar. We lived in Duggar, Indiana until I was about eight years old. The only thing that Duggar is known for is coal mines and fishing. Okay? The population of Duggar at the time we left was around 1,500 people. And we moved from Duggar, Indiana, to Miami, Florida. Now, you may be thinking, what does this have to do with kaleidoscope and beautiful shapes? When we moved to Miami, I was enrolled in Redland Elementary and Junior High School, which hosted roughly 1,800 students, plus faculty and staff. My elementary and junior high school held more students than my town had people. Okay? So, so keep this in mind. It was my first experience with a cultural kaleidoscope. And, and I got to tell you, I loved it from the start. Uh, it was a little bit overwhelming at first. It was, it was a bit of a culture shock because I, I come from this little town in Indiana. And, and, and at that, I mean, I remember we sang things in church like, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And, and I just met them all. <laughs> I met all the little children of the world in this school in Miami. Uh, It was fascinating. And I just want to tell you, that song doesn't even come close to the kaleidoscope of color and nationalities that made up Redland Elementary and Junior High School. I heard kids that were my age, 8, 9, 10 years old, that I didn't know. They spoke Spanish. They, they, They were kids from Haiti that spoke Creole and French and Portuguese and and their families, I had a friend of mine whose family escaped Cuba while he was just three years old. And, and in a boat that they were escaping on, he's got a scar that ran across the back of his head where they were shooting at him when they were trying to get away from Cuba. And it was just this, I was fascinated by what brought all these people together. Um, but no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't understand them unless they spoke English. 
I just, I didn't have it. Uh, I learned some conversational Spanish at Redland Junior High, or elementary school and junior high. But in today, for me, Redland Elementary and Junior High School is just a small reminder that God has included all people, all nations, all language groups into his plan of salvation. And and it's just an amazing concept to me. Acts chapter 2, I want to start with verse 5, and I'm going to read through this. And it it starts like this in verse 5. Now, there were were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Are, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? However, some, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. The, the, the text goes on to say it was, it was early in the morning, so that wasn't the case. But Luke, he says that there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And, and obviously there was some confusion going on among them because they were hearing the apostles speak. Uh, the problem here, the, actually the, the miracle here, was they were hearing them in their native language. Languages that other Jewish people around them wouldn't have spoken. And they're wondering, why are these Galileans, these, these men who we know weren't really educated for the most part, how are they speaking in my native tongue? How is that even possible? I mean, there, there's this supernatural moment right here in Acts where God is saying that there's a new unity in the Spirit. Where God, through this act, through this, this miracle of speech, is saying, I'm calling all people of all tribes, of all languages, to my son so that they can be made right with him. I've studied some different things, and and a lot of scholars have this idea that this miracle that happened at Pentecost could just be God's reversal of the Tower of Babel back in Genesis chapter 11. You remember that? How all the nations that, that came together, they had one language. Genesis chapter 11, they had one language, and they spoke the same language, and, and they were building this tower. But they were evil in the sight of God. And God came down, and he confused them, and he confused their language and, the, and that, then there were many languages after that. And they scattered across the earth. But now, on the day of Pentecost, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is saying, I'm gathering all nations, all language groups to me through what my son did on the cross and through his resurrection. That just blows my mind that he would care that much. You know, the, the church that was a meeting place for the Cambridge Revival was built in 1791. It was eventually pastored by a man named Barton Stone. Some of you may have heard of him. Stone had this passion for unity, of bringing people together, even from other denominations. He had this passion for unity, but he also had this conviction for diversity. And and this was a time in America's history where slavery was rampant. And as I studied around on some of this and, and the Cambridge and, and the things that took place there and Barton Stone, 
I found out that about 65 years before the 13th Amendment was ever passed, the church at Cambridge had become an abolitionist church. And they wanted to worship with people who weren't all white, in case you're wondering what that means. And yet there was still some separation because it was a two-story church and, and it had two levels. But even during some of that time, uh, black people were made to sit at the top and the upstairs, separated from the white people down below. But the neat thing about this, about Barton Stone and about the things that took place at Cambridge, just a few years later, when the Cambridge revival broke out in the early 1800s, many of the members of the church in Cambridge were slave owners. And they were convicted by God through the Holy Spirit and through Barton Stone's preaching to set their slaves free. A few years later, after that, there were black elders and leaders in the Cambridge church and the entire separation between the races was gone. That's an amazing thing. White and black people worshiped alongside each other on both levels of this church. I want to share with you just some thoughts from Dudley Rutherford on the topic of kaleidoscope and what that means for his church, Shepherd in the Hills. Watch this video. I think segregation in our churches when they're all one race, I see several problems with that. One, it's kind of a sign that we're not fulfilling the Great Commission to go to all nations and reach people of all different nationalities. seems a little hypocritical to me that we would send missionaries around the world to reach people of different color, and yet we won't do it in the very city in which we live. And of course, Segregation speaks to the residents of our city when they look at a church, of, of any kind of church, that's all one race. Uh, it, it just kind of speaks to them that perhaps they're not welcome and they're not included in that particular church. Also, you have a situation when we get to heaven, the Bible explains in Revelation, there's going to be people from every tribe and every language and, and every tongue, and yet, uh, and I feel like church, we're supposed to be preparing our people for that grand He goes on to say one more thing, and we're going to pull that clip up here in just a second. People realize that every segment of society is diverse. Uh, the political arena, the sports arena, the educational arena, Hollywood, the entertainment industry, everybody's diverse except the church. It's still on Sunday morning. It is the most segregated hour. And of all the entities that exist in America, the church should not be lagging behind in diversity. The church should be on the, the cutting edge. The church should be saying to the rest of the world, let us show you how to break down the walls that divide us racially. And we, we just, we're a long ways from that, uh, the church in America. We, we're a restoration church, okay? And, and Barton Stone knew this back in the 1800s, that, that the church, the church... Jesus Christ, his kingdom, his body, that we should be leading the way in that cultural diversity. And somewhere with all of our comforts and all of the things and all of our, our technologies and all the things we have, we've just gotten really comfortable with our own kind. And it's not just us, it's, it's everywhere. We have, in Huntsville alone, there are Spanish churches, there are... Um, just if you pick a language, there's a church for it. There's Korean, there's Japanese, as, as you drive around. And, and it just seems that in our world, everybody wants to worship with who we like. But see, the apostles in Acts chapter 2, 
They were God's megaphone to the world. And they were saying that everyone, regardless of what you look like or what nation you come from or what language you speak, you've been invited to this great salvation that has been brought for us. Excuse me, that has been bought for us. And it's been won for us through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The question is this for Huntsville Christian Church. Are you and I, are we, are, is the church today, are we still willing to be the megaphone to the world? Or is it just easier for us to proclaim Jesus to the people who look like us and act like us and like the same things that we like? Is, is it just easier for us to, to stand next to someone in church who acts like us and likes things we like and, and all those commonalities? I love what Dudley Rutherford says when he talks about heaven being this, this beautiful kaleidoscope of all nations, this, this beautiful shape of all people, of, of all languages. And Jesus himself, he comes from that heaven as the Son of God. He came to earth and he became a human. He died on the cross for our salvation. But then he poured out the Holy Spirit into all of us. Into the, and the Holy Spirit comes from heaven also. My point is this. That we as the church, as Christians, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, then we've already got a little bit of heaven within us right now. And so the question is, since you've got that in you, why don't our churches look more like the landscape of heaven? Could it be that we've lost sight of the focus that the early church had? Yeah, we've got our doctrine right and we've got these other things right. But have we lost the focus that call for unity. Keep in mind, the early church, as everybody refers to the church in Acts, they had focuses. And, and the focus they had was because the Holy Spirit was driving them to focus on others, to focus on other people's needs, to focus on getting the word of God across the nation. And we're not a different church today. We're the same church of Jesus Christ today. Think about, think about all the universities and the colleges that are in the United States. And then just think about the colleges that are here in our area of Huntsville, Alabama. Brothers and sisters, the nations have come to America to study. Different representatives from different countries all around the world are here right now in Huntsville, Alabama, studying in our colleges going to our schools. They're in our community. Think of all the immigrants that come to the United States. And I'm not here to make a political statement right now. I'm just saying in reality, think of all the different people from all these different nations who are in our own backyard right here in Huntsville, Alabama. And what would it look like if our churches were to begin to reach out to them, to reach out to them genuinely, to build friendship? to bring them into our church, to bring them into our families, to bring them into our homes to eat with us so that they might come to know our Jesus Christ as their Savior. So what we've got to ask ourselves is this. Are we willing collectively and individually to cry out to God, to make us this kaleidoscope of nations within the church, this, this beautiful shape that he created in his image? Are we willing to pray and wait for God to move. That was one of the things I hit on that first week. We need to pray and wait for God to move. And then when God does move, are we prepared and are we willing to do whatever it takes to change anything within our churches so that we can house and embody this beautiful diversity that God intends for us?
I love reading about Barton Stone and, and God used him in Cambridge to make a difference. He made the gospel equally available to all who believe, regardless of their skin color, nationality, financial position, or any of the other distinctions that we make between people. Brothers and sisters, God is still in the business of using the Holy Spirit to unleash the church to turn the world upside down by reaching all people. Won't you join him in that effort? I just pray that as a church, we will let the Holy Spirit unleash us to be that beautiful thing. Here, let me help you. Let me just say, if you're listening on the internet, you missed it because Diana just made an amazing um, portrait and uh, collage of, of what it should look like when the Holy Spirit unleashes in that kaleidoscope. Brothers and sisters, it is very clear. God has called us to do things that on our own we'll never do. But with the Holy Spirit inside us, with that little bit of heaven inside us here on earth, we can do some of the most amazing things in our community, and in our world. Not for our glory, but for His. The whole point of Unleashed, as we go through each one of these, is when the Holy Spirit is in us, we are unleashed on this world to shine Jesus Christ. No matter what your your color is, no matter how much money you make or don't make, no matter what side of the tracks you live on, every one of us has been unleashed by the power of the Holy Spirit to go and bring others to Christ. Be a megaphone for Jesus Christ this week.